were worshipping there, and I just had a picture of Jesus with a, with a, a sheep around his neck. And, um, and it reminded me of the story of the shepherd that left the 99 to find the one. And I felt that God was saying to somebody here, and maybe more than one person here, I'm coming for you. You're not forgotten. I'm coming for you. I see. Other people may not see. Other people may not realize. You might have a big smile on your face. You might be looking happy. You might be looking jolly. But I see, and I'm coming for you. So a little bit later on, we're going to have a time of praying, praying for one another. It might be that we just have to lay our hands on each other because my suspicion is every single person here needs some prayer. It's my suspicion this morning in the Spirit. But we are going to be praying for one another. There'll be opportunity during the time of worship to pray and to come out and to be prayed for. We're going to pray for one another. We're going to pray for others who aren't here, um, but we're going to pray for those, for those people as well. It's one or two people not feeling particularly great at the moment, and so we're going to pray for them. The title of the talk today, and my mum's asked me to keep it to 20 minutes, because <laughs> she listened to other podcasts. So anyway, so it won't be 20 minutes, mum. Right, here we go. So inviting the glory of God is the title of the talk today, Inviting the Glory of God, Part 1. Guess what the talk next week is going to be? Yeah. <laughs> Inviting the Glory of God, Part 1. And I'm going to read from Haggai, or Haggai, or Haggai, I don't know what it is. 885 is a page on my Bible, if you're struggling to find that one, but it might be different in your Bible. Um, I'm just going to read um, a couple of verses from Haggai, chapter 2, verse 6. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations. And what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. So um, about two or three weeks ago, we as leaders met together in a very nice place in Southport. We'll go there again. And we were praying together when we were just like sharing our hearts with one another um, about what, where, what the next steps are really for us as a church. We do that on a regular basis. And one of the things that came out to us was this phrase, invite the glory of God, inviting the glory of God. And so we kind of dwelt around that and we, we talked around all sorts of other things uh, but one, that was one of the key things that we felt that God was saying to us. And when you invite the glory of God, he then tells you the next step. So I'm somebody who likes a five-year plan. You know, I, like, I, sit, I sit down in the summer and I plan out the whole of my academic year. Every single day gets planned in the summer holidays. And I stick it on the school calendar. And then I sit back and I'm relieved because I think, right, that's it. That's all sorted. And of course, it changes within two weeks. But... I'm that kind of person. I love to know where I'm going and what I'm doing. And God says, just wait for my glory. And who knows what's going to happen. And we heard um, somebody last week, was it Dave or Sue, talking about messy, how things can get messy. And if we, if we try and plan God out of, of, of everything, yes, we'll avoid a messy church because we've planned it so, it doesn't, so it's not messy. And I struggle with mess a little bit. I won't mention the grandchildren being here because it's been so lovely having the grandchildren. But I do sometimes struggle with mess. You know, to me, you get to my age and everything's got to be ordered for me. But God is saying sometimes it will get messy, but my glory will fall. And when my glory falls, who knows what's going to happen? And so 
um, as we talked about that, then I, I was reminded of Exodus. I'm going to um, spin into Exodus chapter 33 and just be in there for a minute or two. And Exodus 33 um, is the story of Moses. Such an, He should have been one of the Marvel characters, I think, you know, or the, or the Justice League or one of these. You read what he did and what he went through and what he faced and what he achieved. He's absolutely amazing man. A human, he was a human being, but it's hard to believe that when you read this. But here in Moses, in chapter 33, um, and in verse 18, he says this. Moses said... Some of you know what I'm going to say now. Moses said, now show me your glory. Now show me. He says to God, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. So point number one. I've got two points today. Okay, point number one. Experiencing God's glory is in direct proportion to our sense of need. I'll say it again. Experiencing God's glory is in direct proportion to our sense of need. Are we aware of our need of God's glory in our lives? Or are we so comfortable? Are we so stuck in our routines? Have we got things so ordered that we suddenly can do without God? All of a sudden, are we aware of it? And Moses, I was reading through Moses. I looked at this Moses, and, and, and he ran away from Egypt, and he was there in the desert hiding away, looking after his sheep and his goats, and then God appears to him in the burning bush. And God says, I want you to go back to Pharaoh, and I want you to set my people free. And Moses says, send somebody else, not me. I can't do it. I'm an introvert, Lord. I'm, I like the desert place. I like my sheep. I don't want to go off and do that kind of thing. And God's got a little bit angry and he says, listen, you're going, like it or not, and I'm going to go with you. And so he goes off and, and, and he meets with the, the most powerful empire, the ruler of the most powerful empire in the known world, Pharaoh, who was likened to God, and he was there before Pharaoh himself. Imagine the cortisol levels then surging through his body, Imagine those blood pressure moments. I don't know how many tablets he was on, but, the, but it wasn't enough for Moses because, I don't know, I don't know if I could have done that. You kind of, we read these things and we skip over them. He was negotiating with, with, it was like going to negotiate with Putin, wasn't it? It was going to negotiate with Biden. It was going to negotiate. That's what God had called him to do. And to ask Pharaoh to do something that Pharaoh didn't want, you know all those, that cheap labor you've got? Set them free. And he's not, got no bargaining tools, and I'll give you this land. He hasn't got anything. He's got a few sheep. That's about it. And then, not only that, but in order for that to happen, there had to be wonders. There had to be miracles. There were the plagues. And you imagine that, you know, sometimes when you're ministering in church and you're praying for people and you're giving out and you kind of think, is God going to pull through? And you pray for people and miracles happen. And sometimes the people praying for the miracles are just as surprised as the people that miracles have happened to. You think, whoa. And, and you think, oh, these men of faith and power. Well, we're all in that place sometimes where we're just shocked by God and what he does. And Moses must have been in that place day after day having to step out in faith again and again and again. And then we have the institution of the Passover, which we still celebrate. 
And then we have the Exodus, where Moses had to lead all these people out, tribes upon tribes upon tribes, out of Egypt as quickly as possible. And then as they were going out, there's the Red Sea in front of them, and he turns around, there's a cloud behind him, and it's the Egyptian army coming after him to massacre him and everybody else. And so he looks, and again, the cortisol levels are going through his body, and the blood pressure's going up and up. Good job he didn't have a blood pressure monitor. And then he's there, and he says, Lord God, I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm stretching out my hand, and the Red Sea parts. What a relief that was. And then he goes through the, the Red Sea. And he gets to the other side, and then the people start complaining and wishing they were back in Egypt, because they're hungry, and they're thirsty, and they're... And then he's there, having to say, come on, guys, and bring the energy that leaders have to bring to the party... Smiles on the faces. Come on, bring energy. Let's get that going again. And so there we get manna, and he strikes the rock, and the water comes out, and how amazing is that? And then we see Jethro visiting, and he notices what Moses is doing. He says, day and night, Moses is sitting in judgment on, and the people come to him. It says day and night. The people were coming to him with their petty squabbles and their decisions that they need to make and seeking him for the will of God. And Jethro says, you're going to wear yourself out. Those are the words used in the Bible. You're going to wear yourself out. Start delegating. And there's Moses again. He must have been absolutely shattered and exhausted. And then he goes up to Mount Sinai, which I'm guessing is higher than Parvold Hill. I don't know. How, how high is Mount Sinai? Somebody here knows that, don't they? No? Oh. Okay, one of those Bible facts that we need to look up. Mount Sinai, how high is it? I'm guessing, Catabells, I don't know how high it is. Is it Mount Snowden height? Whatever, Dave's looking up. I'll let you know in a minute. And he goes up Mount High. So that must have been exhausting. He's there in the presence of God. And then all of these tablets of stone. I don't know why he's chiseling away. And hang on, slow down a bit, God. I'm, I'm only up to E. And then he's like, all these stone tablets of the Ten Commandments, and he's carrying them down. He gets down to the bottom, and there they are, worshipping a golden calf. They've built a golden calf. And he said, I've only left you a few hours, and, or whatever, however long it was, probably a few days. And they're already doing the opposite of what he's wanting them to do. So he smashes up, the, and he goes up again, he gets them down, and God forgives them, long story short. And then, <laughs> there's a, and, and then, he's, and then he's there administering the covenant so he's done all of these things, and then he's establishing a covenant. And not only the covenant, he's then establishing the tabernacle. And then he builds the ark of the covenant, which brings the presence of God. And then he institutes the Sabbath, so the Shabbat, which is amazing. And to all of these laws and related laws and everything else. I would have been exhausted by this point. I think by that point, it's retirement time. It's early retirement. And then at that point, just before this passage... Because this is all just before this. Just before this passage, God says, right now, I want you to move these people again. I want you to leave where you are and go to the promised land. And God says, but I'm not coming with you because I'm fed up with these stiff-necked people. Even God's got fed up with them. And so I'm, go- I'm, not go- I'm not coming with you. I'm fed up with these people. And so Moses says, Lord, I can't go unless you go with us. And he pleads with, with God for the, for the presence of God because, because God loves Moses so, so much. And because Moses had been so faithful and because he carried this, this weight of God's glory on him, God relents and he says, I will come with you. And then he says, Moses says, oh. And I just, you know, in these, and I'm, I said all of that, because that, this now show me your glory. If you don't read it in context, you don't understand the heart of Moses. Here is a man whose blood pressure's through the roof, whose cortisol levels are far too high, 
He probably had IBS and all sorts of stuff after that. I don't know what he had, all sorts of things going on. And so when he says, now show me your glory, I just think, you know, have you ever got to that point where you've got to the very end of yourself? Because I guess Moses did. And he says, now show, he had massive need. We have got to be hungry for God and aware of our need of him. And we live in a country that's called developed. You know, we talk about, used to talk about developing nations and the developing world and the developed world. Well, we might be developed economically or financially or industrially, but we are far from developed spiritually. We are very undeveloped. We are probably right at the back of the pack, <laughs> not wanting to put a down on it. But I tell you, once upon a time, we had a heritage and a legacy, but this country has fallen asleep. And we have fallen asleep. And we don't, we're not aware anymore. And I wonder if it's related to how comfortably we've got economically. I wonder if it's because we've got our nice houses and our nice homes and our nice cars, and we expect to be fed every day. And do we need God anymore? In our eyes, we do need God. And we need to wake up because we've become, and sometimes we can become so blind to our, our need for the God's glory that what we need is God's glory to realize our need of it. You need to get into the place of God's glory. And when you're in the place of God's glory, you suddenly realize, that's what I needed all along. Have you ever been a whole day without a cup of tea, Dave? <laughs> a, whole day, a whole day without a cup of tea. The first thing I do in the morning is I put the kettle on, cup of tea. Can't manage. Cup of tea. If we run out of tea bags, that is the greatest of all sins. <laughs> Running out of tea bags or whatever it might be. But, you know, when you, when you wake up in the morning, you haven't got, okay, we haven't got any tea bags. You get off to work, you're busy, busy, busy at work. You get home, you've not had a cup of tea all day. Adrian says, oh, I bought some tea bags today. Okay, have a cup of tea. And it, that cup of tea tastes so good, doesn't it? Have you ever been out for a long day? You come home for a cup of tea. Some of you may not like cups of tea. I don't know. What it, <laughs> whatever it is, me and Dave love cups of tea. And that's why I'd never do one of these celebrity in the jungle things, you know, because cups of tea are what you need. And you, and, but imagine to that, that sense of whatever it is for you, relief times a million. When you get into the glory of God, you suddenly realize you need it. There's, there is something where you're in that place of worship and you think, I've been missing this all my life. Or this is something that I've forgotten that I needed and I really need. And God wants us to get back to that place, to create a space and a place where God's glory can be invited in. Um, on Wednesday of this week, um, I seem to say this a lot, but it's been quite challenging at work this week. Adrian hears it all the time. She's like, uh, she's great, Adrian listens to me. But anyway, on, on Wednesday of this week, it had been a particularly difficult two days. I won't go into the reasons why, but those of you, I mean, you, you've all had difficult days at work, haven't you? So, and, you and, and we got, I got home on the Wednesday, and I actually messaged Adrian. I've said, I'm having the day from hell is what I said. <laughs> Literally from hell it was. It was one of those days. And then, um, and it was small group that night. And, um, and Yvonne was there and, and, and Sue and Beth and myself and Adrian. And, uh, and we were, and you know, it's one of those nights where you feel, I just need to crawl under a rock. You know, I need to get into a cave somewhere. Just need to hide in my bed. Just need to switch on, I don't know what it, Columbo or something, and then off to bed. But Sue came along with a guitar and, and we were, and she's, as she does, we were sing, singing away and strumming and worshipping. And it was just a few minutes into it, 
and I realized I needed the glory of God. It's just like you're there, and all of a sudden it's like having that cup of tea, but like better. And they're just the glory of God. And when the glory of God falls, you respond with emotion, don't you? You, you know, tears should be the common experience in the glory of God. That overwhelming sense that he cares, that he's there, that he's with you. That he is almighty. That praise leads to worship, leads to glory. And we need, we need to understand that we can live in that glory of God. The glory of God is, is powerful and it meets our needs in a deep way that nothing else can. And God is saying, don't stand outside of my glory. Because we've spent weeks and weeks and weeks teaching on the grace of God. The grace of God through Jesus Christ means that we can come into his glory. And that's why God has been telling us to, to understand his grace. I hope we've got grace. I don't know if we'll ever get grace, but I hope we've got more of grace. Because it's the grace of God that says, come in. You can come in to my glory. And the Bible is full of people who are aware of their need who then experience God's glory. People who, who came to Jesus, who shouted out to Jesus, who touched Jesus as he was passing, who cried out to Jesus, who destroyed roofs to get to Jesus. And they experienced his glory because they knew his, their need of him. I found an interesting verse, Romans chapter 9, verse 23. And it's really interesting, it's one to think on. It says this, What if God made the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy? Made the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, to those who should have experienced the wrath of God and the judgment of God, but became objects of his mercy and his compassion. What if God made his glory known to them, to you and to me? And our prayer is that that is what God is going to do. And when we become aware of our need and we, we enter into that space where God is, then that's when, like manna falling in the desert place, that's when we respond in tears, when we respond in adoration and in worship and, and in repentance and and that's when we start to see deliverance. That's when we start to see healing. That's when we start to see the miraculous. That's when we start to see the amazing things of God. And, and the second point, point number two, that was not point number one. Point number two, that God's glory is obvious. It is an undeniable and tangible falling of the mighty weight of God's presence. That is the glory of God. You know, sometimes we talk about God's glory and, and, and everybody's not quite sure whether it was here or not you know when the glory of God falls. When the glory of God falls, you know it. It wakes us up as though from a dream to the sovereign power and the fullness and the reign of God. It is undeniable that God is in charge when the glory of God falls. Have you ever been in a place where someone walks into the room and they've got such a big personality that it's like everybody looks at them and, um, or, 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 they're, or they're so well known? I remember going to... Um, because I like music, going to a rock... Have you heard of R.E.M.? And I went to see R.E.M. at uh, the Trafford Cricket Grounds in um, Manchester uh, with a friend of mine, and there were hundreds and hundreds of people there, well, thousands probably. There was packed. It was packed, and, and um, they had... I think it was Green Day was on first, and then R.E.M. came on, and uh, they were playing their guitars, and Michael Stipe, the lead singer, wasn't on. 
And he walked on the stage like this, and he just stood there with his bowler hat on, and everybody, and he just owned the stage. I remember it now to this day. He owned, and every thousand people looking at him, he just stood there like that. I thought, that's an entertainer. That's so good. Well, just imagine Jesus a million times, a million times more than that. His presence is enormous. There's a, a Hebrew word for glory, and the word is kabod. C-H-A-B-O-D, kabod. It's a powerful, powerful word. And what it means, what it translates as, weightiness. Kabod means weightiness. It means substantial. It means heavy. And at the cross of Jesus and through the resurrection of Jesus and by the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the weight of our sin is replaced by the weight of God's glory. And when you're in the presence of God, there is a, a heaviness. And in the Old Testament, I mean, we talk about heaviness as being like a negative thing, but in the Old Testament, heaviness meant honor. And lightness was like something superficial. But heaviness is honor and authority and substance and visible splendor. And I've been in moments with God and God's presence and God's worship where, you know, there, there are times in worship when, when you'll kneel down. When I, you know, you might see me or other people kneeling or falling down on the, on the ground. And, and that's because we are declaring something. You know, we are saying, Lord, you're in charge of my life. Lord, I submit myself to you. Lord, I obey you. Lord, I don't mind what other people think about me because you are the one that is in charge. And that's, that's why we do that. But when you're in the glory of God... That, you just can't help but do that. When you're in the glory of God, it pushes you down. The weight of God's splendor and glory just forces you to your knees. I can remember one moment when, when it was just the tangible presence of the glory of God and there was nothing but to fall down on my knees and be silent. And when the glory of God falls, when the weight of God falls, you know it in your spirit. I can remember another time when I was just in the presence of God and, and just worshipping. I was on my own in this particular occasion. Just, I've said this before, and I just the only words that could come out of my mouth was, thank you, thank you, thank you. It must have been, it felt like half an hour, just thank you, thank you, thank you. When you're just aware of who God is, when we were um, speaking as leaders together, um, Dave Smith mentioned about the dedication prayer of Solomon, which we'll come to in a moment or two, but just before that, in, um, in 2 Chronicles. I'm going to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 11. The ark is brought to the temple. I'm just going to skip over a few bits of it because it's quite long, but in verse 11 to 14, it says, The priests withdrew from the holy place, and all the Levites, the worship leaders, who were musicians, stood playing cymbals. Oh, we should get some cymbals going. We've had our, our cajon today. Let's get some cymbals going there. Maybe... Okay, but only I pass that with us first. Okay, don't bring your symbol next week. Playing symbols. Listen, 120 priests sounding trumpets. Well, can you imagine that? We skip over it. 120 priests sounding trumpets. The trumpeters and singers joined in unison. They raised their voices in praise. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud and the priests could not perform for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God the glory of God stops you in your tracks 
And all of the things that you'd planned to do in your service and in your ministry and in your life and everything else just stops dead because he is in charge. Because he's got God is saying, I'm in charge. I am sovereign. And I rule. And I reign. And I have the authority. And the weight of God's majesty falls. And there is nothing you can do. And the priests who are mighty priests, and no doubt they were great at their job, just couldn't do a thing in the presence of God the God of glory. And in our church, we love worship, as you know. We know we love worship, and I believe that God is going to take us deeper and deeper in worship. As leaders, we're saying we want to resource worship. We want to put everything we can into worship. And, and, and because worship is where it happens. You know, that, that kind of like drawing us into that place of praise and worship, and the glory of God falls, because we are hungry. Now show me your glory, Lord. As a church, we want to be hungry for the glory of God. Yes, we want to be hungry for a building and hungry for everything else, but we want to build the church before we build the church. We want to know the glory of God above and before everything else. And so we see here this silence of submission before God as God stops them in the tracks. And then the passage that Dave mentioned, our lead is in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 1 to 3, and I'm coming into land now, but I've got more, so much more to share about this next week. But um, in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, 1 to 3, the, the temple's been built and Solomon has been, has been praying this prayer of dedication. And it tells us that when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven. Wear your fireproof suits next week. Who knows what's going to happen? Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. There was no escape. You can hide in a cupboard somewhere in the temple. It filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple because the glory of the Lord filled it. And when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, He is good. His love endures forever. That's the glory of God. That's what happens when the glory of God falls. And next week I'm going to be talking about so much more, but I just want to leave it there because as I was thinking about these things, it reminded me of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. Let's pray. Jesus. Lord, Jesus. Lord, as we, as we go into, as we are in a place of worship, as we continue to sing your praise, I want to thank you, Lord God, for the amazing, amazing place that we're in right now as a church where we're able to just come into your presence in worship You've blessed us with worship leaders and worshippers and musicians. You've blessed me, Lord God, as a leader of this church with people who want to worship. So good to be in a church, Lord God, where we don't have to work each other up into a place of worship because I know there's a hunger here. I know there's a desire here, Lord, for your glory. And so, Lord God, I know that you respond to that. Holy Spirit, I know that you are hovering over the waters with the weight of your presence waiting to fall, waiting to fall. 
And we say, Lord, now show us your glory. We want nothing else but your glory, Lord. Now show us your glory. And Lord, as we are crying out to you, we, we, we're going to move into a time of worship and of ministry and of praying and, and intercession. And in all of this, Lord God, we can't do this without your glory. We pray for those who are at home at the moment, Lord God, that your glory would fill their homes, that your glory would fill their bedrooms, that your glory would fill where they are, Lord God. We pray for those that maybe don't even know you, Lord God, that your glory would fill where they are, Lord Jesus. We praise you for who you are. Jochebed, Yahweh is glory. You are glory. Lord God.